All right, let's try that again. I'm sorry. Let, let's get started now. And I uh, encourage you to get a bulletin. Just a reminder, uh, one of the important things that we are um, kind of promoting at this point is grace marriage. It's a great way for you to work on your marriage in a, in a proactive way, uh, to, to talk and to hear good instruction from God's word, some practical things. Uh, it meets once a quarter. Uh, on Saturday mornings, child care and a lunch is provided. So if nothing else, it's just a good time of fellowship as well. I'd, I'd encourage all of you uh, to sign up. There are cards on the table as, as you go out. Uh, I, I've got another thing I want to encourage you with, but um, I, I want to, us to turn to Galatians first and read Scripture before uh, we do that. So Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Verse number 12, Galatians 4, verse number 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a body, bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus." What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul talks here about the anguish that he has for uh, these Galatians, and he's saying there, I've got such a burden for you. It's like, it's like a woman in childbirth, and, and that's the agony that's the pain that I experience uh, for you in in terms of wanting Christ to be formed in you wanting wanting you to grow and mature in your faith and I can certainly sympathize with that as a pastor this morning uh, there's a certain anguish that comes with the desire that I have for you all to grow in the faith our, our uh, motto or our mission statement that we've come up with is that we exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ. That's my passion for you. It's, it's not just a motto. It's just not something we can put on a wall or on a bulletin so we can say we have a mission statement. That, that comes from my heart for you all. The primary thing I want for you all is to grow in your faith. And that's why I can say that I, I, at times I'm, I'm discouraged uh, because... Uh, to grow in Christ, to grow in your faith, I feel like one of the greatest tools of discipleship is just the regular services that we have here at church. In my 30 years experience plus of being in the church, let me put it this way, I, I, I was going to church, I'm 36 now, I always forget how old I am, but I'm 36 years old, and I was going to church for nine months before I was ever born, okay? And I've been in church my entire life, and I could just tell you this, from my experience, I have never seen, I'm not saying that it's impossible or that it could never happen, I've never seen a, a Christian grow in their faith if they were not consistently attending 
the worship services of a church. And, and I can just tell you that, that that is my experience. Anytime I see someone growing in their faith, it's always connected to their coming to the worship services, to the prayer meeting, to, to Sunday school. And so you just couple those two things together. My great desire, like the Apostle Paul, to see Christ formed in you, to see you grow as Christians, and then, and then you couple that with the, the kind of careless attitude that, that so many seem to have toward attending worship and being in prayer meeting and bring, being in Sunday school, and, and it is a great burden for me. And so I want to encourage you to, to be here. I, I want you to think about this. You know, a lot of you have your kids in sports. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but just imagine this. Would you expect your children to get any better at the sports they're playing if you never took them to practice? No. You know that th those big moments when they do well in the game, it's because you've been at practice three or four nights a week, every night at the ball field, and you see the growth in the game. Well, listen, the same thing's true as you as, you as Christians. You're not going to grow in your faith if you're not under the preaching and teaching of God's word. This isn't a matter of legalism. I'm not saying, you know, you need to score brownie points with God. You need to get a special star on your badge so that you can say, hey, I'm a church member that goes to church all the time. That's not what this is about. It's about this is the means that God has given and set before you for you to be able to grow in your faith. And you're not going to do it apart from uh, apart from that, I don't think, for, for most of you. Now, I just, I just want to highlight a couple things. Been here for five and a half years now. Just imagine this. If you had been in on Wednesday night, regularly attending our Wednesday night services, you would have been through two catechisms, which are just ways, they're tools that are used to teach us the faith. You would have been through two of those. You would have been through the Gospel of John, a pretty thorough exposition. You would have walked all the way through the Gospel of John. And we've looked at other things. Plus, you would have been being trained how to pray through Scripture. If you had been here all those times, you would be in a better place spiritually than you are now. How about Sunday school? Sunday school, our attendance is up and down. If you had been here over the last couple, two and a half years, we've been going through the Gospel Project. We started in the book of Genesis. And we are coming now all the way toward the latter part of the New Testament. I don't know exactly when we'll finish up. Over, let's say over the last three years, if you had consistently come to Sunday school, you would have walked through the entire Bible in, in a teaching format. Uh, what a blessing that would have been to, to your faith and to your growth in, in Christ. So it's a burden for me when people don't take advantage of that because my goal for you is to grow in Christ. And I see one of the greatest ways that you can grow in Christ is to be here and to be consistently under his word. So that was kind of an extended announcement. Wednesday night prayer meeting at 630, Sunday school <laughs> at, at 9. We'd love to see you there. Let, let's pray. Lord, we come to you today, and I pray that you would do a work in this congregation. I pray that our mission of growing disciples of Jesus Christ would not be merely empty words, but would be a reality in the life of this church. I pray that through your spirit, you would give new desires and new affections to your people. I, I pray that the way that they love sports, they would learn to love you. I pray that the commitment they have to their favorite TV shows uh, would be the commitment they have to attending your worship. I pray that the satisfaction they find in resting on their couch 
would be replaced by the satisfaction of resting in Christ. I pray that the trust they put in money gained through unnecessary overtime would instead be placed in you. God, your word tells us that as a good father, you discipline every one of your children. And I dare not ask for this lightly, but if your people will not let go of their sin apart from your disciplining hand, then I pray that you would lovingly and mercifully apply that discipline in the life of this congregation. Lord, if they are sinfully seeking rest instead of pursuing you, I pray that, you, that they would not find it. I, I pray that the rest would elude them. If they are seeking pleasure through entertainment instead of feeding their souls on your word, I pray that, that they would be brought to see the vanity of such entertainment. I pray that instead of being entertained, they would be sickened by the immorality they're placing before their eyes. I ask that if the sin of materialism is that's so rampant in our culture is leading the men of our church to choose overtime unnecessarily over worship of you, I pray that you would remove the blessing that you have placed on those pursuits. Lord, may you cause them to put their money in bags with holes in them. Do not make it easy, Lord, for us to disobey you. I ask if they're choosing the joy of watching their children play over the far surpassing joy of knowing you, that you would remove that joy. Lord, I do not ask these things lightly. I do not ask so that their life would be worse than what it is. I ask these things that their life would be so much better than it is. I'm asking this because they are trading out true joy peace and contentment in Christ for the fleeting pleasures of this life. I ask this because some are risking the eternity of their children so they can hit a baseball or make a free throw. I'm asking this because many seem to be more concerned about laying up treasures in this world than in the world to come. Lord, I, I ask you this because many are seeking comfort in this life at the expense of comfort in the life to come. And Lord, those things are ultimately not for their good. So I pray and ask that you would do this work in this congregation. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, well, we've got a great blessing here this morning. We have uh, Monty Quinn here with us uh, from, from the Gideons. And uh, a lot of you, I noticed, already knew Monty. Of course, he's been in, in the community for a long time, and, and some of you know him personally, and, and I've always heard great things about him. And uh, we're, we're excited that he's here today, and we're excited about the work of, of the Gideons. So I'm going to invite him to come at this time and just share with us uh, about the work of the Gideons. And we are going to have an offering collected at the end of the service uh, specifically for them. So I just ask you to consider what the Lord would lead you to give for this great work. Monty, you come on. You know, I, I know I've let the Lord down a lot of times in my life, but he's never let me down. And I know he never will. I want to tell you it's a pleasure to be here with you today, and I want to tell you what a beautiful church you have. But we know it's beautiful because it's God's house. I want to start out today with a, with a question. I want to ask you if you've heard of this new book that's out. Well, I guess it's probably been out a couple years. And it's not called Knee Book. And it's not called Handbook either. 
I think they call it Facebook, and you've probably heard of that by now. I'm sure you can tell that I probably don't have a Facebook account. I, I don't, but my small store does, and I, I have an employee that takes care of it for me. My wife does have a Facebook account, and she printed a small post the other day and, and gave it to me, and I, I just want to share it with you. It goes like this. I want to be so full of Christ that if a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing. There's power in the blood. And you know, if someone needs proof that there really is power in the blood, they can find it right here in one of these Bibles, can't they? Share God's word and change lives. Share God's word and change lives. That's really what the Gideon's International is all about. For over a hundred years, Gideon's and the people who support us have been sharing God's word here in the U.S. and around the world as well. Bibles and New Testaments are distributed in schools, colleges, hospitals and rest homes, jails and prisons, to our military, and throughout other events in our country as well. Last year alone, the Gideons distributed more than 91.4 million copies of God's Word all around the world in more than 95 different languages. We're reaching many places like India where scripture distributions have increased dramatically and could grow even more as we raise the funds to purchase more Bibles. At this time, the Gideons serve our Lord and Savior in 200 countries, territories, and possessions. We're going where individual churches and denominations are not always able to. Gideons are born-again members of local churches and, and, and communities that they, they work and thrive in. and we, we really want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to receive the word of God and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To do that, we visit a lot of churches to share with you the blessings God has provided through the distribution of Bibles, and we know God's blessings are many. Isaiah 55:11 tells us that God's word shall not return unto him void. And through your support of the Gideon ministry, God's word is at work every minute of every day. I want to ask you to think about this short statement for just a moment. When you're faithful to use what you have, God will multiply it and perform miracles. When you're faithful to use what you have, God will multiply it and perform miracles. A young girl in a, in a foreign country was given a New Testament. She had four friends that wanted to read it too. They carefully cut apart the Gospels out of the New Testament 
here and shared them with each other. All five of them were saved through one New Testament. One New Testament, five souls for Jesus. Again, as we just said, when you're faithful to use what you have, God will multiply it and perform miracles. Many years ago, a, a young boy and his family lived on a cotton and cattle farm in uh, Big Springs, Texas. Salem Baptist Church was the church in their rural community. They seldom went to church, nor did they read the Bible. The boy was not religious. In fact, he was afraid of church. One year, some men came to his school. They gave each fifth grader a New Testament. He did not own a Bible, and he was very proud of that one. Inside, it identified the men who gave it to him as Gideons. When he read Matthew 4.19, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The little boy just knew if he ever followed Jesus, he was going to be fishing for men. As the little boy read the New Testament, he found in the back of it a presentation of the gospel. It also had a printed prayer he could use to receive Jesus and be saved. He prayed the prayer, signed his name, and dated October 29, 1947. Less than a year later, during a revival meeting, he confessed Christ publicly and followed him in baptism. When he became 17 years of age, he surrendered to the ministry and became a full-time pastor at 18 years of age and served as a pastor for over 40 years. Time after time, he invited the Gideons to speak and gave to the Gideon ministry. This man also became the director of evangelism for the Southern Baptist Convention. Again, when he decided to follow Jesus, which began by reading a scripture provided by the ministry of the Gideons International, he became a fisher of men. His name is Dr. Darrell Robinson, and he continues to thank God for the Gideons and their, their work of Bible distribution. And once again, we look back and we see what started here with one small New Testament. When we are faithful to use what we have, God will multiply it and perform those miracles. I'm told there are over 5 billion people in the world we live in today that do not know about Jesus. They have not heard about the plan of salvation. Here in the U.S., that number is 200 million or more. These small New Testaments, the cost on them is $1.25. The Bible, such as this, that are used in hotels, hospitals, the cost is $5. 
Gideons are a, a group of business and professional men, and if someone here feels like they may have an interest in this organization, I would ask you to come see me after the close of the service. Another way you can help the Gideons is by using the Gideon Card Bible Program. You make a donation to the Gideons and to buy scriptures, and you get Gideon cards that you can send to people you're thinking of or to recognize a special event possibly in their lives or to place Bibles in memory of a friend or a loved one who's gone on to be with the Lord. There will be an offering, as mentioned, for the Gideon ministry at the close of the service. Checks can be made to the Gideons. Debit or credit cards can be used. You can go to Gideons.org. In closing this morning, I would ask that you pray that all Gideons be blessed with the wisdom they need to do this work and for the contributions needed to distribute Bibles throughout the world and to your pastor. I want to thank him for the opportunity to share about the ministry of the Gideons International as we are an arm of your church that represents you in distributing God's word throughout the world we live in today. And to this congregation, once again, it's been a privilege to be with you and participate in your worship service today. Once again, may God bless each of you with wisdom, with happiness, and good health. Thank you. ushers come forward at this time thank you Monty for that and we know that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword Peter the apostle Peter says that we were born again by the word of God and so uh, the word of God certainly has that power and, and capability what what a great ministry and I'd encourage you uh, even if you didn't come prepare maybe you didn't know we were doing that today to give to it today or if you have opportunity you you can give it doesn't have to be today uh, he mentioned some ways that you could give uh, after today. So I'd really encourage you to, to consider that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that someone brought the word to us. We know that there are many, many millions and millions of people who do not have the word. They do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray for the Gideons that, that this would continue to be an effective uh, way to spread your word all over the, all over the world. Lord, I pray that you would bring many to salvation in your son and faith in your son, Jesus Christ, through the reading of these Bibles that are placed all over the world. God, would you bless them? Thank you for Monty and for his willingness to be here uh, today. And we just ask, Lord, uh, that you would lead us to be generous and faithful givers. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I think our children can head out this time with Ms. Lindsay. And uh, we're going to continue our series this morning in the book of Ephesians. So grab your Bibles this morning. And uh, believe it or not, I told you, Jared preached last week, but the week before that I said, well, this sermon is going to be a leftover sermon, and uh, meaning that there were some things that we had missed as we went through. And I just wanted to be sure, uh, you know, I've, I've preached through books of the Bible before and just kind of pushed on and, and, and maybe missed some things uh, that I thought, well, we'll come back later and get this. But with, with this 
uh, series in Ephesians, uh, we just want to take our time. We just want to walk through this slowly and try to glean all that we can from it. So we're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning and beginning at verse number 15, Ephesians 1, 15. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now he's going to tell us about that power that's at work in and for us, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, I think we've got a problem as Christians sometimes, and that problem is uh, that we're, we're kind of one-dimensional in the way that we think about our salvation. What I mean by that is too often we, we don't understand all of the ramifications and all of the consequences that sin has brought about, not only in our world, or not only in our lives, but, but in our world. So often people pick one or two aspects or dimensions of our salvation and they focus on that. And those are true and those are good. My point is this morning, there's just more ways to look at salvation than sometimes we do. For example, we think about forgiveness of sins. We, we think about the fact that God's our Father and we've been, we've been separated from Him and Christ came and the purpose of His coming was to die for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. We could be brought back into fellowship with God. Praise God, that's true. That's one of the facets of, of salvation. We talk about how sin is, is, is like breaking God's law and God is a judge and Jesus came to take our condemnation so that we could be acquitted and set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God, that's true. That's another dimension, another facet uh, of the gospel. Sin does something else. Sin brings death into our lives. Uh, God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we looked, Jared did a great job of pointing us to the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus came, he said, so that we might have life. He died and took the punishment for our sins so that he could grant to us and give to us eternal life. Praise God, that's true. That's another facet of of our salvation. It's kind of like a diamond. You can turn it around and you can see it in different ways in different lights and it shines differently. You can see those different facets, but there are even more facets. Those are some of the ones that we are, that we are common and uh, thinking about. But the more you study God's word, the more you find out that he has lavished grace on us in ways that we don't even understand yet. And hopefully this morning in our sermon, what I want us to do is just turn turn our salvation one more turn around and look at another facet of what God's done for us in, in Christ Jesus. Now, let me do this really quickly. Let me just help you see the context of this passage. It's been a few weeks since we looked at it before, but this is a, a prayer. You remember that? 
It's a prayer. We, we did this on Easter. It's a prayer. And Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. And, and then he tells us what he's praying for the Ephesian church and for us. That, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know. And so he's saying, I'm praying that the Spirit of God would come into your life and would open your eyes so that you could see some things that I want you to be certain about. You remember what those things were? He said, I want you to know uh, what, what is uh, the, the certainty of your inheritance. Having the eyes, look at verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. That's number one, the hope to which he's called you. Paul wants you to know that. He wants you to know it. We talked about that in a very real way, in a powerful way, not just up here, but in your heart. He wants you to be convinced of the goodness to which you've been called. That's number one. Number two, he wants you to know what are the riches of this glorious inheritance. And we talked about the inheritance that we have, that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We talked about all that means, all that is given to us as heirs of God. And Paul wants you to know that. He wants you to live your life in a way that that is consistent with the fact that God has made you joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He wants you to know it. And so he's praying that the Spirit of God would reveal it to you. And then he says the third thing. There's a third thing that he wants you to know with certainty. What is the immeasurable, look at this, verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? He wants you to know the immeasurable greatness of power of God but more than just knowing oh yeah God's powerful he wants you to know that this power is toward you this power is directed toward you in your life it's at work within you and it's directed to you the great almighty power of God has been given and granted to you he is using it for your good and Paul wants you to know that And so he takes a minute to say, let let me tell you how great this power is. I want you to know the great power of God, but let me illustrate some of the great things that God's power has done. And so we see this. He lists several things here. What is verse 19? I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so he says this, according to his great might that he worked in Christ. That's the number one thing, that he worked in Christ and then he tells us what that is. There's two, two ways that he worked in Christ. Do you see it? Do you see it? When he raised him from the dead. That's what we focused on on Easter. The power that God used to raise Jesus Christ up from the dead is now directed toward you. It's at work in your life, believer, if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, worked in Christ. How did he work in Christ? He raised him. And then here's where we want to begin our focus. This morning, and he seated him at his right hand. He raised Jesus Christ, and after he raised him, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is not that is named not only in this age, but in the one to come. 
This is what he wants you to know. The power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and then seated him at his right hand above every power and every dominion and every authority and every name. Whatever king, whatever great person there's been in history, whatever spiritual power there is in this realm, whatever name is named, he's been seated above that, those names, not only in this life, but in the age to come. And the power that did that is at work in and for you. And so I want us just to stop this morning and, and, and think about this great work of God in seating Christ at the right hand of God. And then we see there's two other things that he did. Not only did he work in Christ, but verse 22, he put all things under his feet. And number three, he gave him to the church. So those are the, the three things. Now, I've got a question for you to ask as we kind of consider what does this mean that God seated Jesus on the right hand, that he is above every th authority and dominion and power. And the way that we need to think about this is just by asking the question, wait a minute, was there a time when the Son of God did not have all authority and power and dominion over this world? Was there a time when somehow God the Son had lost dominion that he wasn't in power that somehow somebody else was in control uh, look look and see what a, a few passages say about this why was it necessary for god to to subject all dominion and authority and power to the son and to raise him up and sit him at the right hand of uh, at his right hand why would that be necessary that that almost implies that the son at some point was not a, in control and God had to do this. But listen, listen to what a few passages say uh, about God the Son and His power and authority and dominion over this creation. John 1.1, 1, 1, you know that passage, don't you? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And all things were made through Him. That is, the Word is the Son, the, the Son. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made the Son of God is responsible for all of this creation. So we've got to ask, did, did he not have dominion or control or power? It goes on to say this, in him was life, and the, and the life was the light of men. So I would think if he's the one who has made everything and there wasn't anything made that was made apart from the Son, I would think he has dominion. I would think he has authority, the Son of God. Here's another one. Hebrews 1, 1. You, this is another familiar passage, hopefully. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom, through the Son, whom he also created the world. Again, God the Father worked through the Son in the creation of the world. And listen to what it says about the Son. Then he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The Son and the Father are one. And then listen to what it says. And he upholds the universe. Everything. He upholds everything by the word of his power. You go back to Genesis 1. How did God create the world? In the beginning, God said, right? He created it by his voice, with his word. But guess what? He didn't just speak it and, it and it came into being. He continues to speak. He upholds this universe with the word of his power. 
He doesn't just say, let it be. He says, let it continue to be. And the moment that the Son of God ceases to speak that word of sustaining power over you and me and this creation and our universe, the moment he ceases to, to speak that word, all of this, all of us and everything would go immediately into non-existence and non-being. We are upheld by the word of the power of the Son of God. One more passage, Colossians 1.15. He is the image. This is again talking about the Son of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him are all things. Again, he's created everything. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and indivisible, whether thrones. Now, here's some of these words that we're seeing in our text. Thrones and dominions and powers and authorities. He created them all, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. That means he supersedes all things. And in him, all things hold together. Again, that's what Hebrews was saying. He sustains everything. He sustains even the spiritual realm. Even Satan and his demons, they are created beings and they are sustained by Christ. And the moment he wanted all of this to go away, he would just stop sustaining it and it would all be nothing. And so does, does the Son of God not have authority and dominion and power? Why did he have to be raised and seated at the right hand of, of God? What, what's this all about? So the question comes again, why does this text say that God the Father had to bring everything into subjection to the Son? Well, here's the key. It doesn't say that he brought everything in subjection to the Son. It says that he brought everything into subjection and seated Christ. Now, here's where this is a little bit maybe technical theologically, but I hope you understand this, that, that Jesus is a God-man. You see, something happened when we celebrate Christmas. What are we celebrating? The sun didn't come into existence on, on Christ, that first Christmas morning. He eternally existed as the Son of God forever and ever. But what did change, what did happen on Christmas morning as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ is that God the Son became a human being. He added to his deity. He didn't stop being God, but he added to his deity humanity. He became a man. He became Jesus the Christ. He became not, not any longer just the son of God, but what's another title that we find in the Gospels? He's also the son of man, the son of God, son of man. That was new in the incarnation. That was Jesus was not that name, Jesus, was something he took on in the incarnation. He wasn't Jesus before the incarnation. He was just the son. He, he didn't have humanity all of that time. He took on humanity. Now, here is where we start to understand what's going on in this text. And to, to understand it a little bit further, uh, we need to understand the, the storyline of Scripture. We understand in Genesis 1, and I won't take time to read this because I'm going to try to push through this a little quickly. But Genesis 1, 28 through 31, God created the world. And what did he do? The, the crowning achievement of his creation was mankind, Adam and Eve. And what did he do? He said, look, I've, I've created all the fish of the sea, all the birds of the air, the cattle. I've created this world. 
and he gave dominion of it to man. Man had authority. He had control. Ultimately, God was in control, but God sort of made human beings, Adam and Eve, his vice regents to, to kind of rule in his place over this little realm. He said, here you go. Here's the world. Well, we know the story. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? What happens in Genesis chapter 3? Before we go there, let's, let's read Psalm 8. Because our, our passage this morning actually picks up and, and I think is, is influenced by Psalm 8. This is the psalmist just reflecting back on creation. And he says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? For you have made him, that is the son of man, you've made human beings, you made Adam a little lower than the angels. And you crowned him with glory and honor. And you made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Talking about Adam. He said, here you go, Adam. I've created you. Here's this world that I've made. Everything's under your feet. You have dominion. You have control. Well, what happened? We know the story, don't we? We know that Adam uh, was tempted uh, by, by Satan, Eve and Adam were tempted and man rebelled. And what happened the moment man rebelled? He gave up that dominion. He gave up that control. He yielded it willingly as he rebelled against God, in a sense, giving it over to Satan himself. And that was the point of what Satan is doing. Satan is the word, we talked about it Wednesday night, he's a usurper. He's trying to grab this power. And that's what I think we see in the Bible. He's grabbing authority and power over this world. You know that Satan had power and dominion? And that man forfeited. Listen to the way scripture talks. And I'll try to run through these quickly. Listen to the way it talks about Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4. 4. I'd encourage you to write these down. Go look at them later uh, to get a fuller context. He says this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Jesus, the, Satan is called the God of this world. Ephesians 2, what Jared preached on last week, what does it call Satan in Ephesians 2? He is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of disobedience, that is, or the spirit uh, that is now at work in the children of disobedience. He's the prince of the power of the air. Luke chapter 4, verse, verses 5 through 8, the temptation of Jesus. What was one of the temptations? He took him up on a mountain. He showed him the kingdoms of the world. And what does Satan say to him? All these kingdoms can be yours if you will bow down and worship me. That was not an illegitimate offer. Now, it wasn't a sense that he's the son of God and ultimately God does own this. But as a human being, Jesus Christ is being tempted to say, look, here are the kingdoms. They're in my power. They're under my sway. And you can have them if you will worship me. Listen to what Satan says. To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. That's Luke 4, 5 through 8. I think there's a legitimacy to that offering there. I'm the God of this world. These kingdoms are mine. I have dominion. I have authority. And they will be yours if you will worship me. John 12, 31, the words of Jesus Christ himself. Now is the judgment of this world. 
Now will the ruler of this world, the ruler of this world, be cast out. And he calls him the ruler of this world, talking about Satan, not only in John 12, 31, but also in 14, 30, and in 6, 11. And even here, in, in our passage, in, or in our text in Ephesians, when you go to chapter 6, what does Paul say? Paul says, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against? We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in evil places. So Satan was given, or it was yielded to him, dominion. He's the God of this world. He's the ruler of this world. And he has authority over this present darkness. But here's where I say that we need to understand one of these other facets to the gospel. Not only does God, Christ, come in order to save us, to bring forgiveness of our sins and redeem us, but, but he also came to restore the dominion that man had taken from him. He also came as a man, right? We know that Jesus had to be a human being in order to represent us and to die for our sins. But he also had to be a human being so that he could restore the dominion and the, the authority that human beings had been given over this world. Man was given it. They rebelled. They sinned against God. And so they lost that authority. And so when Jesus Christ comes, he doesn't just come so you can be forgiven. He's also come to restore the way that things were in the created order. He's come to take dominion and authority and power as the God Man, and that's, what he, that's what's going on in this passage. How did he do this? Well, he became a human being and he died and he conquered the power of Satan and, and death and he was ascended, he was raised up, he ascended and was raised up to the right hand of God the Father. That's what this passage is all, all about. Jesus is seated. Note, notice what it says about his dominion. He was seated, he seated him uh, in verse number 20, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Now remember, we're not just talking about the Son. That would be no big deal. The Son of God is at the right hand of God. But what you need to understand and what, the, what really should impact us and say, wow, there's a man. There is a man at the right hand. Now I don't mean man as opposed to woman. I mean man as in terms of humanity, mankind. There is a man sitting at the right hand of God who has been given dominion over this world. It's the God-man. It is Christ Jesus, our Savior. Dominion has been regained by Jesus Christ. Look at this dominion. It's a supreme dominion. It's, a, it's above everything. He seated him at his right hand. That, that's just a term and an expression uh, that, that is meant to show that this is the place of supreme authority. The right hand of God is, is where all the power and all the authority is, and there is the man Christ Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. You know this, this idea of sitting at the right hand. I won't turn there, but Psalm 110 is where Paul grabs this from, and I, I would encourage you, write that down, go read Psalm 110. Psalm 110 that says, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool, footstool is quoted 20 to, 21 times in the New Testament. It is the most often quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament. I think the writers of the New Testament and the Holy Spirit wants us to know 
this facet of salvation. He wants us to know that the man Christ Jesus has been seated in the place of supreme authority over all creation. It's a supreme dominion. Not only that, it's an untouchable and unrivaled dominion. It's in heavenly places. Here, heavenly places is where God is. So, so you get the picture, don't you? There are all these demons. There are all these dominions and powers and rulers and authority, but they're like way down here. And Christ, the God-man, is seated in heavenly places, far above all rule. In other words, it's unrivaled. It's untouchable. This authority is, is a powerful dominion. Not only that, it is an everlasting dominion. He's given him a name that is above every name, not just in this life, not just in this age, but in the age to come. It's an everlasting dominion. God has subjected, the next thing that we see, God subjected all things under his feet. Again, that's a quote uh, and a reference to Psalm 8. The psalmist in Psalm 8 is saying, hey, I'm reflecting back on what God did in creation and seeing how God subjected everything in dominion. And now Paul's saying, hey, you know, I'm going to take that from Psalm 8 because uh, the psalmist could see how we had some dominion and how that was a blessing to mankind. But I want you to see that that really is ultimately filled in Jesus Christ who really has dominion and not just over fish and cattle. He has dominion over every power and authority in this created realm. God subjected all things under his feet. And then one more thing. God gave Christ to the church. So the first, there are three verbs here. The, the first one, God worked in Christ and he worked in him by raising him and, and seating him. And, and then after God uh, seated him, God subjected all things under him. And then verse, the, the third point here is that God gave Christ to the church. God gave Christ to the church. Now, what's he saying here? Read, read with us again in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, in my version it says this, and I think this is the accurate translation, and gave him as head over all things to the church. It's not just that Christ is given to the church. Of course he is. But Christ is given to the church in this exalted status. In other words, we got an inside man. We, we got the, the one who is in the supreme place of authority. He's with us. He's been given to us. He's, he's one of us. He's seated. Look at, again, what Jared talked about in, in chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, By grace you have been saved, in verse 5, and raised up and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this man, Christ Jesus, that's sitting at the right hand of God, he's been given to us. He represents us. He's ruling and reigning in our stead. He's one of us, and, and we're reigning with him because in, in a sense, positionally, we have been seated with him. So the, the power and the dominion and the authority that he is exercising, he's not just exercising for his own good, he's exercising it for you, church. That power has been directed to you. Praise God. It's a similar, let me use an illustration. And again, I, I used an illustration that was a little bit political not too long ago, and I just want to remind you, I'm not using these uh, for, for political purposes, but I'm just using them for, I think, what they show. And, and so you can imagine, you know, for, for the average African-American who 
it's been in our country, uh, been part of thinking back on the, the history and the way that so many African Americans were, were oppressed. There was slavery, and then there were Jim Crow laws and, and all of that. And so, so they're in a place of really being subjected and really being under the dominion of other people. And, and, and then you can imagine sort of the joy that it would be, again, not, not for political purposes, but just to understand when, when President Obama was elected, that now this man, who's a black man who represents them, who represents them, he's one of us, he's in the place of highest authority in our nation. You, you can imagine, whether you agree politically or whatever, that's not the point. You, you can imagine, though, the joy that this, this person represents us. He's, he's one of us. He's the President of the United States. Well, that can, I think, help us see what's going on here uh, in, in even a greater and even a truer way. Jesus Christ has been raised up and seated in the ultimate place of authority and been given dominion over everything, and he's there representing us. He's one of us. We're one of him, and we're seated with him. What a joy, Christian, you, you should know. And, and what a way, uh, what, what joy and, and worship that should lead us to. Now, we're over here, so I'm going to, I've got a few application points, and there's so much more that could be said. I'm trying to run through this, but let me give you uh, a few application points. If all of this is true, uh, how, what, what's the takeaway for us here? Number one, you should pray for the return of King Jesus. He's the Lord of Lords. You should pray that he returns, because what the Bible teaches, Hebrews says, all things have been, again, here's another one you could read later, Hebrews 2, 8, 9. All things have been subjected to him, yet it says we do not see all things right now subjected to him. This word looks kind of chaotic, doesn't it? It looks like things are out of order. How is it that Jesus is ruling and reigning? How is all dominion and authority? Well, Corinthians answers that. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Christ is ruling and reigning till he makes his enemies his footstool. He's reigning over this world and he's bringing it to his intended purpose. He's, he's bringing all enemies and, and, and all spiritual forces into subjection to him. And when he completes that task as king of kings and lord of lords, he will return and all authority will be put down. It will all be dealt with. All opposition to his kingship will be destroyed and we ought to pray for that day. Aren't you, don't you pray for that day when, when we will have a just king? When, when, when the one who rules over us will do all that's right. And when all, vic, uh, all wickedness and, and all rebellion will be banished and done away with. I long for that day. And you ought to pray for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Listen to Psalm, or Revelation 19.11. That speaks to the return of Christ. Then I saw heaven and open, heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and righteous. He judges and makes war. He's a king going out in war. He makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. We sang about that earlier. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dip in, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. He's a 
conquering king. When he returns, he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe. Listen to this. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. You know what that name is? King of kings and Lord of lords. Philippians tells us at that moment when Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus is Lord. Lord means king, it means master, it means ruler. When Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I long for that day and we should pray that Christ would return soon. Here's a second application. It won't take as long, but it is simply this. Stop being so wrapped up in politics. Stop being so wrapped up in politics. I don't care if you're on the right or on the left. And I'm not saying don't be involved in it. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't care. I'm just saying don't care as much as you do because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's the only perfect king that we have. It's the only perfect king we need. And when he comes, all, right, all wrongs will be righted. Stop putting all of your hopes in the next Democrat or the next Republican or the next governor that's going to be able to turn things around. No one will ever be able to do everything right and expel wickedness and always do righteousness except for Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And guess what? He's already been elected. He's already sitting on the throne. He's already in the Oval Office, if you want to think of it that way. He's the King of kings. I see so many Christians walking around and so distraught and thinking, oh, this is terrible. What's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is going to rule and reign until he makes his enemies his footstool. And at that time, he will come and rule the nations with a rod of iron. And so you can vote and you can campaign and you can read up on the politics and then you can put your head on the pillow at night and rest easy that the king of kings is on his throne. Maybe it took as long, longer than I thought. Here's another thing. Third application, be bold in your witness. Be bold in your witness. You, you know the Great Commission, don't you? What did Jesus say in the Great Commission? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Right. But what did he say before that? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. You're agents of the kingdom. You're representatives of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're with the one who has all authority and all dominion and all power. So don't be afraid about spreading the gospel. Jesus, when he came and John the Baptist both said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We need to go out and proclaim that message. There is a king ruling on the throne and he's coming back and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I hope and pray that my neighbors know that they need to do that now before Christ returns. So we need to go out with boldness. Luke 10, here's one more that you can write down and read later. Luke 10, 17 to 20. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In the ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan was defeated. And, and we have that victory. We share in that victory. Read that passage later. One more thing. Two more things. One, worship and serve your king. 
He's worthy. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Like a king returning from victory, we, we ought to praise the Lord that he's the king. That ought to cause us excitement. It ought to be something that leads us to worship him. All hail the power. I asked Daniel to sing that. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. We need to have that kind of worship and adoration for our king. And then one more thing, final application here this morning. If you are outside of Jesus Christ, if you have not bowed your knee to him, you need to do that today. He's coming back. And one day you, you can sit in your unbelief and you can sit in your skepticism and you can claim that you don't know about this Jesus. You can claim that you're not certain about it, but there is coming a day when you will be absolutely certain and Philippians says every Every knee will bow, not just Christians. Every knee will bow. The people who, who never would bow to him will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus indeed is the Lord of all. That day is coming. I would just encourage you to do that now. If you bow to him now, if you turn from your sins and you own Christ as your king and you submit to his kingship in your life, then the day when he rides into town as the conquering king can be a day of celebration for you. If you sit in opposition to this king, you will, listen to me, you will be destroyed. He will put down all rule and power and authority. So submit to him and yield, yield to him now. Believe in Christ and I urge you to do that. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We long for that day and we pray, Christ, that you would return quickly and that you would put down all rule and power and authority that you would bring it to an end all the wickedness all the dictators who think that they rule over this world who who will use chemical weapons on their own people all the thieves and all the liars and all the adulterers and all those who who use science to try to discredit you, they will all be brought to nothing. We long for that day. Lord, I pray, I pray that if there's someone here right now who has never bowed their knee to you, Lord, I pray that they would do that this morning and that they would confess that Jesus is Lord. I pray it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.